Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Indeed, we are live from New York today, where Governor Andrew Cuomo is fighting for his political life after New York's Attorney General accused the governor of sexually harassing multiple women and violating federal and state laws. We're going to talk about it coming up with Bloomberg Government Legal Executive Editor Tina Davis. We'll also hear from Republican New York Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, who is calling for Cuomo to resign. Like many in the New York delegation, and in fact the House Speaker herself, and as you just heard live on Bloomberg Radio, the President of the United States. The calls for Andrew Cuomo to step down are in fact growing louder. New York's Attorney General, Atisha James, unveiling findings from a months-long investigation into allegations of sexual harassment against the governor. Here's how it started today. The investigation found that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed current and former New York State employees by engaging in unwelcome and non-consensual touching and making numerous offensive comments of a suggestive and sexual nature. The AG went on to describe a toxic workplace with a, quote, climate of fear, unquote, was actually quite specific in some cases about some of the findings. The independence investigation found that Governor Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women, many of whom were young women, by engaging in unwanted groping, kisses, hugging, and by making inappropriate comments. Governor Cuomo answered with a carefully produced video in which he spoke directly to the camera and denied the findings. I want you to know directly from me that I never touched anyone inappropriately or made inappropriate sexual advances. I am 63 years old. I've lived my entire adult life in public view. That is just not who I am. And that's not who I have ever been. The governor acknowledged his propensity to hug and kiss people, men and women, as he pointed out, while the video showed still images of him doing just that with any number of people over the years, including, as you heard, Joe Biden. Since then, both of New York senators have called for Cuomo to resign, as have, as I mentioned, many members of the delegation, all the way up to the president himself. And we get to learn a little bit more about this from Bloomberg Government Legal Executive Editor Tina Davis, who joins us in studio in New York. Tina, welcome. I'm glad you could be here uh, to talk to us about it. What does this mean for Andrew Cuomo from a legal standpoint? Sure. So this is a five-month-long probe that the Attorney General has just wrapped up today. Um, and actually, it's something that she had to get permission from the governor to move forward just because of the laws of the state of New York. Mm-hmm. So that's just sort of interesting to start with. He indicated he called for this. Well, he, he it's fairer to say that he allowed bit. it to yeah. happen. Yeah. She does need uh, a remit from the governor to launch these kinds of investigations. And, you know, as these charges were coming out in the December and January time frame, by March, the call had become too overwhelming, I think, for anyone to uh, do anything other than announce that they were going to support an investigation. 
But yes, yeah, so we, we got this investigation. I think what was interesting was over the course of the press conference today, we heard James say quite clearly that her office was only charged with investigating, that they were not bringing their own charges. And in fact, what she did was invite other prosecutors to look through the evidence that she was presenting and the report that she was presenting, which is 167 or 69 pages plus three appendices in case you're interested in reading it up. Um, But to look through that report and see if there are other charges that um, may be appropriate here. So we're about to get a wave of charges. Well, potentially. I mean, the one thing she mentioned was uh, a couple of encounters in the executive mansion with with a a former executive assistant for the governor um, of unwanted touching. Um, And we've heard already from the district attorney for Albany County saying that he was going to look at the report um, and decide and and welcomed other victims to come in with any um, complaints. It doesn't, it's not a foregone conclusion that a criminal charge will come at this point. And I think the other thing that James mentioned in the presser was, look, this may come in the form of of civil complaints. So one of the victims may decide to go after uh, Cuomo directly in court and file a civil claim. Sounds like he could be dealing with some legal issues for many years, though. Is that fair to say? That is definitely fair to say. And I think the other main thing, as you mentioned at the start, is we're talking about potential impeachment, which is, again, more of a political matter than a legal matter. But that's the other main front he'll have to fight. Wow. And we heard from the the Judiciary um, Committee today that they were going to be taking up, they're running their own separate investigation, and they're going to be also looking at the evidence from this report. So that gives us a good place to start here. Tina, thank you. Bloomberg Government Legal Executive Editor Tina Davis with us on Bloomberg Sound On. And we bring in a member of the New York delegation now, Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, Assistant Republican Whip. Welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. You are calling for Governor Cuomo to resign or be impeached. What did you make of his response today, Congresswoman? Well, you know, the governor seems to think that he is above the law. I mean, he had said, let an investigation take place. And... Um, What I will say is I had previously called for the governor to resign, but it was specific to his mishandling of the nursing homes that led to 15,000 deaths statewide. Uh, This, today's revelations only really um, give more reason for the governor to leave office. I I believe that what the governor has done here is criminal. Um, As a matter of fact, it was the governor's own laws that he is now breaking. He is the one who strengthened the sexual harassment uh, laws in our state. And if you go back to the statements that he had previously made at the time where we passed some of that legislation, he made a very strong stance against sexual harassment, that it should never be tolerated. And he's actually called for other elected officials to resign. Um, other state assembly members who had been accused of sexual harassment, and they didn't even have an investigation like he did that was able to confirm those reports and allegations. Congresswoman, there's going to be a lot of conversation uh, about harassment, about scandal uh, surrounding the governor here. How about actual business getting done in New York? If this turns into an impeachment trial, if the governor uh, resigns, as the president himself has now called for, what does that mean for doing the people's business in New York? Look, the governor had accused us very early on of playing politics, but as you know, it's not uh, just Republicans that have called for him to resign at this point. It is It is uh, every single federal representative from the state of New York. It is the president of the United States. It is uh, the members of his own party from the state legislature. Um, enough is enough already. I, I, I think that at this point, the governor is digging his heels in uh, simply 
out of ego. And he's not doing what's in the best interest of the state of New York. We have been on a roller coaster of drama circling Governor Cuomo for months now, whether it be his mishandling of the nursing home and the AG report that came out saying that they hid information from the public uh, regarding nursing home deaths, um, whether it was using staff members to uh, write a book in which he cut a $5 million deal, uh, whether it be these sexual harassment allegations, not one, not two, not three. We're talking about 11 women that have come forward including those who worked for the state of New York. If this was corporate America, he would be gone. And in no way is this acceptable for the governor continuing in this position. And so I I would say if the governor refuses to resign, Mm -hmm. then the members of the state legislature must reconvene. They must have a special session and move forward with impeachment. They have the votes to do it, despite the fact that Democrats control the Senate and the Assembly. Uh, They have the votes, I believe, to impeach this president, uh, impeach this uh, governor, based solely on the number of uh, people who have called for him to resign. Congresswoman, I want to ask you about something else that's making headlines today in New York, and that is brings us to New York City specifically, a requirement to prove that you're vaccinated to get into restaurants and gyms. I saw you tweeting about that earlier. You think that's bad for business? Well, I think it's a government overreach. Uh, that's the first thing. And look, let me be clear by saying I myself am vaccinated. Uh, and I have helped over 600 uh, residents in my community get vaccines as well. And so I do believe the vaccine is safe and effective. But I think what government's role is, is to share the science, share the facts, share the benefits, and allow individuals to make decisions for themselves on how to best protect themselves and their families. I think it is in, in a government overreach, um, and it is a violation of privacy to have to share information to uh, restaurant owners, to businesses, number one, private information. Uh, and number two, you know, it, it is un-American to, to set, tell people that they cannot participate in everyday activities um, simply because they're not vaccinated. Um, and, and number three, these businesses are already struggling enough. Remember, a lot of these uh, small business owners, they, they are short-staffed. Remember, the president created a labor shortage when he decided to pay people more money to stay home than to report back to work. And you go speaking with restaurants, small business owners, big business owners, they will tell you how many vacancies they have and how they're having trouble filling them. I, un- I also know that a lot of other restaurants are requiring proof of vaccinations themselves. So that should be up to the business owner, is your point. Well, I, I, I still think it would be unfair, but um, at least if it's left up to the, the business owner, that would be a step up from government imposing it. What, I, what I'll say is this. They are short-staffed. They shouldn't be policing. Um, they shouldn't be doing the government's policing to make sure that these vaccination cards are even legitimate. You know, uh, somebody can come with a false identification. Yep. And now is that going to be is that going to be on the business owner for allowing that individual in? I don't think it's just it's just not their role to be participating in, in doing this type of covid policing. We're talking with Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, Republican from New York on Bloomberg Sound On. I have one minute left, Congresswoman. I wonder if you're encouraged, if you're disappointed to hear uh, from the president a short time ago the cdc apparently will be extending the covid eviction moratorium we don't have details on it but did you want to see that happen or are you more concerned with states getting money out that's already been allocated well only 117,000 of 2.5 billion dollars has been set aside in new york has been distributed in rental assistance but aside from that i'm very concerned about the state of the housing market uh with this announcement you know, small landlords in particular, 
they they have maxed that on their credit cards. They they cannot pay their bills anymore, whether it's property taxes, water bills. So don't extend the moratorium, though. Is that it is? It is very tough to extend it. And by the way, if people are still getting paid more with unemployment. Why are they not? We have, why haven't they been paying their rent? Nine point two million jobs out there. Uh, people could be returning to work now and um, continuing to lead productive lives. I don't. I don't Congresswoman, understand why thank we're you. I wish we time. had more time. Nicole Maliotakis, Republican from New York. Many thanks for your thoughts. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Continuous market coverage live from Hong Kong. Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Prisoner. Join us for Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. What will Alibaba's results show us about the health of Chinese consumers? And will China's online game industry be the next target for Beijing? Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Tonight at 6 on Bloomberg 1130. The Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. Bloomberg. The world is listening. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We've heard from a legal expert and a member of the New York delegation. I want to hear from the panel on what's next for Governor Andrew Cuomo. And they join us now, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shee and Zeno and Rick Davis. Thanks to both of you for being here. It is not every day. The president of the United States calls for a governor of his or her own party to resign. But, Jeannie, that happened today. What could Andrew Cuomo possibly do now? And, and let's not forget, Andrew Cuomo, and this just shows what a stunning moment that was for Joe Biden to call on him to resign, was the first sitting Democratic governor to support President Biden in his run for office. Wow. They have been extremely close. And so for the president to support his earlier statement from mid-March calling on Cuomo to resign is startling and I think just underscores the seriousness of the position that Governor Cuomo finds him in today after this report. And of course, Joe Biden is not alone. We are hearing reports that most of the, if not all, Democrats in the New York State Assembly were in an impeachment would likely start or have to start are supporting an impeachment. We have heard from Chuck Schumer. Mm -hmm. We have heard from all of the leading Democrats calling on him to resign. So he is in a very, very tough political position, not to speak of, as you just spoke earlier, about the legal position he may find himself in. But at this point, I think the political position is even tougher. Well, I want you guys to take a walk with me here. And Rick, I want to ask you about the evolution. Let's stick with Joe Biden for a minute. In an interview, uh, with George Stephanopoulos, ABC News. This is last March. President Biden called for Andrew Cuomo to resign if an investigation confirms the claims. Here's what he said. Back in March, you said that if the investigation confirmed the allegations against Governor Cuomo, then he should resign. So will you now call on him to resign? This is today at the, the White House. Said the 11 women were credible? I stand by that statement. Are you now calling on him to resign? Yes. All right, let's see if we can go back in the time machine. If you're with me on that, this is last March when he was first asked. Yes, I think he probably ended up being prosecuted, too. All right. He's been consistent on this, Rick Davis. What kind of pressure, what kind of meaningful pressure does this put on Governor Cuomo when it's coming from the White House? You know, I think it, it adds pressure. Uh, there's no question that... Um, these people, the president, the speaker, the majority leader, all in his party, um, uh, everybody in the delegation, like uh, Congresswoman Meliarakis just said uh, on your show to uh, ask that he, uh, he withdraw from office. 
But but I, I think everyone's got to understand. I, I think I got a sensibility of this guy. He grew mm-hmm. up in politics. He grew up in the governor's mansion. This is all he has. He is a political animal of the first order. He has nowhere else to go. He's written his own report, 86 pages uh, that he's d- d- distributing today. Uh, a video showing him kissing men and women. Yeah. I mean, he's fighting it. He's not going to go easily. And I think that until this legislative assembly uh, opens up again in January, he's going to be in that governor's mansion wow. at least until then, at let's, least until he's impeached. Let's play that out then, uh, Jeannie. Does that how it ends? Is, is, does this end with an impeachment trial? What if Andrew Cuomo does what he has been doing and just refused to budge? I think that Rick's assessment is right. I do not think he will resign if not easily under, you know, unless there's enormous pressure and how much bigger can it get than the president of the United States. That said, we heard today, and I think what was so stunning to me listening to his video was he is fighting this tooth and nail. And if people go back to what he said, the nature of the fight he is putting up, number one, these victims, 11 or more of them, misunderstood. They didn't understand what he was saying. So in a way, it was their fault. He described this as a generational cultural issue. He also talked about the fact that this is a political witch hunt, a toxic political environment. Those are the arguments he is going to put forward. I have to say, if I was his attorney, I would not have wanted to him to say nearly as much or as specific as he said today. But I think that tells you, for him, this is about maintaining his political office, potentially running for a fourth term, versus taking on the legal nature of this. And that is very telling and very much in keeping. Those of us from New York know this is the Andrew Cuomo we have known for a long time. And I think it's important, Nicole Maliotak has said to you, there have been allegations swirling around him, even equally as serious, I shouldn't say even more, but the nursing home scandal, let's not forget that on top of the book writing, he is in a heap of legal and political trouble here and shows no signs of stepping down. Listen to Jeannie today. Rick, uh, it's a great point. Who is advising Andrew Cuomo in making a video like that uh, that could be libelous in the end? Yeah, well, uh, I think Republicans have felt for some time in New York that uh, he is surrounded by yes-men, people who uh, curry favor uh, when you're in office as long as he's been. Uh, Most of the real independent, spirited people have long since gone. And, uh, and so I think he's just listening to the echo chamber that's for whatever he wants to do to try and remain in power. Uh, and so this is really the dilemma, is there isn't anybody who he probably trusts who are gonna give him inf- is going to give him information uh, that would get him to uh, do the right thing, leave office early, don't fight it, uh, try to be more understanding. I mean, and, and, and these are... These are all Democrats, right? There's there's no Republican that's done anything other than what the president, the speaker, and the majority leader in his own delegation have done. All right, Rick and Jeannie will be back a bit later in the hour here on Bloomberg Sound On. Coming up, the chair speaks. SEC Chair Gensler will talk about it coming up with Bloomberg's Ben Bain. We're talking crypto oversight next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. We all knew it was coming, regulating crypto. It's just a question of how and when. And we're getting some answers. As you may have read on the terminal, Bloomberg's Ben Bain interviewed SEC Chair Gary Gensler. We're going to talk to Ben about it coming up. And thank you for spending some time with us on Bloomberg Sound On this Tuesday. We are live from Bloomberg World Headquarters in New York. Headline on the terminal, SEC's Gensler readies more crypto oversight to protect investors. Causing many in the cryptoverse to say, uh-oh, You've probably heard the stories, even on this program, about Gensler, no stranger to crypto, even famously taught a class about blockchain. A lot of people thought there was a friendly voice moving into the agency. The SEC chair does see a need to regulate these transactions. He spoke virtually at the 2021 Aspen Security Forum. The legislative priority should be around these platforms, the, the trading, lending, decentralized finance, Regulators would benefit from additional authorities in this space. We can also attach things around sanctions and tax collection and tax compliance uh, and any money laundering. So it's, it's, it's about all the policy suites right there. Bloomberg's Ben Bain interviewed the SEC chair, and he's with us now. Ben, thanks for coming in. As I read uh, your great column here in which you share the byline with Robert Schmidt, his first extensive interview about crypto. Gensler signaled his deep interest, you write, in the subject does not mean he's simpatico with the hands-off oversight approach that many enthusiasts would like to see. So, Ben, what's coming? Yeah, that's uh, that's the big uh, the big question everyone's been waiting to kind of uh, get a sense of. As you, as you mentioned, Chair Gensler, unlike pretty much everyone else in the U.S. government at this level, has a lot of experience in this technology and in this asset class. He taught a class for uh, about three years at MIT, really immersed himself in this. And, and we talked quite a bit about kind of what drew him to it and, and his interest. But then he drew a kind of a bright line and he said, look, I have an interest in this technology. And I'm obviously paraphrasing here. But, you know, I have an interest in this technology. I, I taught classes in it. But now that he's the SEC chair, he sees a lot of gaps in how this asset class is regulated. And he pointed to specifically uh, crypto exchanges, decentralized finance platforms, as really places where the SEC and his sister agency at the CFTC, which he also used to chair, doesn't maybe have all the authorities it needs and Congress potentially needs to step in. Over at the SEC, he also signaled that he's already got at least seven different initiatives going on, looking at everything from potentially when and how and if to approve a Bitcoin or other crypto ETF uh, to these DeFi platforms, to the idea of how do you custody one of these crypto assets? They're not like the typical stock 
that yeah. might, you know, Wall Street's used to. So all of that's kind of going on. And, and, and the clear indication was he's going to regulate this and the SEC is going to regulate this in a pretty meaningful way during his tenure. And it's not going to be the libertarian hand, hands-off approach that maybe some in the crypto community were hoping and excited about when they saw that Gary Gensler was going to be the new SEC chair. So how do you regulate this space? And to be clear, we are talking about the coins, not blockchain, right? We're not going to try to regulate the technology, rather the transactions that are had upon it. That's right. Um, what he said is, you know, it, it, it's kind of uh, it's kind of interesting in, in the fact that he wasn't all that far off from his predecessor, Jay Clayton, in the sense that there's a 1940s uh, Supreme Court case which basically laid out the legal test for what's a security and what's an investment contract. And the upshot is basically if you're giving money to someone and they're going to do some work for you and you're expecting a return, it's a security. And then it mm-hmm. falls under the SEC's remit. And he basically said, you know, that's still a good test. He's not moving away from that. But that said, He does think that if you look across the universe, there are thousands of tokens out there and many of those tokens he thinks are securities and they're unregistered and they should be dealing with the SEC in a much different way than it have been and not just existing in this kind of gray area where they're where they're essentially outside of the securities laws. There's the setup from Ben Bain at Bloomberg in Washington. We bring in Kristen Smith. To this conversation, Kristen is executive director of the Blockchain Association. I'm glad you're here, Kristen. You describe yourselves as the unified voice of the blockchain and cryptocurrency industry. So we have the right person on the line here. How concerned are you about the government getting involved, regulating crypto, or do you see it as a need to protect investors? Well, I think having Chair Gensler, as you noted before, he's, he's incredibly knowledgeable on this space. Um, you know, I think having him in this position, uh, he's probably in the right place at the right time. I, I think if you look over the past couple of years, the um, industry has become much more mature. Um, and we agree with Chair Gensler at the Blockchain Association that we need to have uh, market integrity and we need to make sure we have adequate consumer protection. Um, though we probably disagree with him on a couple points, uh, first being that uh, the, the members of the Blockchain Association have gone to great lengths to try to comply with the securities laws, um, but they're often unclear. And so we would like to see some more clarity, because um, as Ben was discussing, this, this 1940 Supreme Court case, it doesn't quite work in today's world. Um, but we also kind of disagree with his statement today that this is the Wild West of crypto. Um, most all of our platforms are regulated by state money transmitter licenses. Uh, they're overseen by the CFTC from an anti-fraud and anti-manipulation standpoint. Um, and most of these companies are registered in money, as money services businesses uh, with the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. Uh, so to say it's the Wild West, we, we would disagree with that. Um, and we do seek more legal certainty, um, but we're absolutely open to having a conversation about how to properly regulate these platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that is constructive for the for the entire ecosystem. After listening to Ben, it sounds like we're going to be in hearing congressional hearing heaven. I'll say for a long <laughs> time as we figure this out, Kristen. In our remaining moment, though, where's the line? What's too much? There have been a number of investors who said they wouldn't go near crypto because they knew at some point regulation was coming. Well, listen. I mean, crypto is here to. Day. Um, it's, it's not going to go away. Um, what spooks but, investors, though, and creates loss for investors? That's the concern. 
Yeah, well, listen, if, if some of the things that Gary Gensler described were to be enacted, um, you know, it could be difficult for companies to comply. So there needs to be a pathway. There needs to be um, some sort of transition. But what we can't have is the, you know, securities laws applied to an ecosystem that doesn't act like a security. Securities have a ton of restrictions around them for yep. moving them from person to person. These crypto tokens work within, work within networks that are valuable to users, and we need to make sure that they're able to flow freely in order to do the purpose. Kristen uh, Smith, that they, I'm that sorry they we're out of time. Network. And Ben Bain, thank you for being with us. The panel's up next. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Well, this turned into a day. When I got on the train this morning in Washington, D.C., on my way to world headquarters in New York, the Cuomo findings had not been released. We didn't even know they were coming. The president had not yet spoken, and well, we had not yet heard that the eviction ban would be extended either. But here we are on Bloomberg Sound On at the end of the day, stitching it all together for you. And I'm joined here in New York by Bloomberg TV and radio political news director Jody Schneider. And the panel's back to Bloomberg political contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Sheehan Zeno. Welcome, everyone, to the super panel. I'll start with you here, Jody. We do have news on evictions. Yesterday, everybody was talking about being painted into a corner. It was a blame game between Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and others. We heard there was no legal grounds to extend it. So what's happening? Yeah, well, Joe Biden was uh, feeling the pressure. The White House really has come under a lot of criticism, Joe, for mm -hmm. uh, not acting sooner before uh, this moratorium uh, basically expired. And the fear that you could have, you know, uh, potentially hundreds of thousands of people without homes as the COVID numbers go up is yeah. not something the White House wants to entertain. Right. So the president did not announce it when he made his remarks at the White House uh, on uh, COVID and vaccinations. A little tease. Yeah, he's said we're going to be coming up with something but um, we are told that this there will be a new moratorium announced and it would uh, last until October 3rd and cover okay. about uh, 80 to 90 percent of U.S. counties those with high numbers according to the CDC uh, of new COVID cases. Now the Supreme Court has said that they're not going to allow an extension yeah. so they're trying a slightly different tact here by not saying everyone not the whole country Country, but that in certain counties, which of course cover a lot of uh, of the population, a lot of the renter mm -hmm. population. Uh, so the targeted this, approach might withstand a legal challenge more effectively? Right. Well, that's what the White House hopes. And the president actually said that in his remarks this afternoon. He kind of laid it out, even though he said we're not announcing it yet. But he said the problem is the Supreme Court has said this. So what we're trying to do is to get something that kind of gets us through this. The White House and uh, others have said, well, there's all this money out there. It just needs to go to the landlords to basically make them whole so they don't kick the renters out. Um, but, you know, that hasn't happened. And so what they're saying is this gives us more time to get that money out there. Again, the question would be the, the legality of it, whether the, the right. court will go for it. We, we had uh, Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis on Republican from New York earlier, not a fan of extending. Many Democrats were not fans of extending either, telling us right on this program, we already allocated money for that. The next stage of this is, I guess, on the state level, Jody, what is the problem? 
Yeah, and that's really that. That's the question among the questions of the day here, yeah, Joe. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's um, what is the problem? I think it, there it is bureaucracy. Clearly, some states have different mechanisms than other states, uh, but most of that money in, in all the states hasn't gone out the door. And so the question would be, if this does get extended. Uh, how do you get that money to go fast enough right. so that you don't end up in the same situation, say, October 3rd? Jeannie, you had some tough words uh, for the Biden White House on this yesterday. Uh, is this encouraging to you or do you see more problems? The Supreme Court, I suppose, could step in and stop this. You know, it's encouraging from the perspective that maybe this targeted approach that Jody and you were just talking about will withstand the legal challenges that will surely come. Although, as we say that, those legal challenges put, could, could we don't know, put a hold on this as well. So while I am a bit encouraged, I would say when you're talking about governance and you're talking about a pandemic and the fact that we do not in the United States we are not clear on who should be responsible for this. The court is saying it's got to be Congress. The White House is saying Congress. People are pointing fingers at the White House. To me, we have a large accountability problem in this country. And, you know, Democrats, Republicans want the states to get the money out. You know, to me, this speaks of the challenge we have in terms of governance in the United States. I am critical of the Biden White House for letting it get this far. But certainly they are not the ones responsible for this. This is how our structure works. It doesn't work well in a crisis when you have 11 plus million people, many of them children, potentially thrown on the streets. Rick, does this get Cori Bush off the steps of the Capitol? Does this help to heal some of the wounds, if I should call them that, maybe the, the rift between Joe Biden and the progressive wing of the Democratic Party? Uh, Joe, I don't know if this is going to work. Uh, I listened to the Biden press conference. He was like, well, we've talked to some constitutional scholars and they say, no, I can't do this. And then we talked to some others and they said, well, I might be able to get away with it. And he's, so I think you got to listen to him. I don't think he thinks he can get away with it. And and so, you know, but the but but the axe really does fall on the Democratic Party. I mean, uh, the Speaker of the House let the House out for their summer recess without action on this. What was she thinking? I mean, just kick it to the White House and hope they can do better than what they did last time with the White House. I mean, the idea that then the White House turns to CDC and says, hey, you got to fix this problem. They're like, we, we did last time and the Supreme Court said it was not constitutional. So I, I think there's a circular firing squad going on. In the meantime, as, as, as Jeannie points out, there's you know, millions of families at risk. And this is going to be uh, a political issue, uh, even though Republicans don't support bans they want the free market to try and take take uh action here um it, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing in the election of the midterms uh that the democrats uh failed to create relief in any kind of formal fashion everything from this point on is a band-aid on a problem jody when we talk about getting away with it is it simply being caught in the act you know when we hear from cory bush and members of the squad calling out the white house just do something that seemed to be the message from nancy pelosi fine go get sued but protect these people in the meantime and buy us some time on capitol hill does joe biden get credit for that even if this doesn't make it to october he tried is the point 
Yeah, I think he felt like he had to do something. The White House was getting so much criticism here. And it comes at a time, obviously, with COVID cases, you know, on the rise, this variant everywhere, we're all masking up again. This was just not good optics. So Mm -hmm. they had to try to do something, whether it'll work, you know, who knows. And the other point is, you know, Nancy Pelosi is uh, pointing her finger at the White House. But uh, at the same time, you know, they could have done something about this, too. Um, they didn't necessarily have to wait till the last minute. Absolutely. These guys were talking for a month, we understand. Right. That yeah. So it, it seems that there were at cross purposes here. You know, do, doesn't Nancy Pelosi and the White House communicate? Yeah, well, you know, to Rick's point, circling, uh, circle firing squad. Uh, I want to ask you guys about the key to New York City pass. I don't know if you're going to get one, Jody. I don't live here, but this is another... A rather controversial story today. Congresswoman Molly Otakis didn't want any part of this. Again, a Republican member of Congress representing New York, but indeed Mayor de Blasio announcing this pass says you're going to need it to get into a restaurant or into a gym. This is the first we've seen uh, of its kind in the country, I believe, Jody. You spent a lot of months covering COVID. This is the only way you're going to get out to eat in New York. It's also making a lot of people angry. Should businesses be making these decisions or should more governments be doing what de Blasio is doing? Yeah, well, New York is, I believe, only one of only two states that has a uh, vaccine passport. It's called the Excelsior Pass. A lot of us have it in our phones already. Uh, and um, it basically is a way to show you've been vaccinated without the little card, which, of course, yeah. is, you know, people can lose and is subject to fraud. Easy to fake, yeah. And the White House uh, was asked a lot about this last spring, whether they were going to uh, approve of or, you know, back a uh, federal vaccine passport so you could get on planes easily. And they, you know, really, uh, were very arm's length. They said, you know, if private businesses want to go for this, go ahead. Um, in New York State, um, you know, so far it, it has seemed, you know, there hasn't been a ton of controversy about it. But now that restaurants are saying you need to show you've been vaccinated, that that's an, another bridge. Uh, you know, at this point, although uh, New York has been taking, you know, the city has been been really in the forefront of this uh, on Broadway. Um, all the, I think all 41 theaters have said you have to be vaccinated uh, to get in uh, the big concert they're going to have. Well, we yeah. think they're still going to have it uh, later this month. Um, you're, you need to be vaccinated to get in there. Mm-hmm. So there, there's been a move uh, to do that. But now the restaurant's saying it, it would be um, the first place in the country to do this. Mayor de Blasio says he hopes it will be and model uh, yeah, for right. the rest of the country. Well, Jeannie, what do you think? You live in New York. Is this good or bad for business? The congresswoman said that it should be the restaurants making that call, if anyone, not the mayor of New York. You know, I think, as Jody said, there has not been a lot of pushback on this in New York City. I do think this is going to be a model for other cities and and areas across the country, because what we see the mayor doing is taking a stick approach. You don't have to get vaccinated, but if you want to enjoy X, Y, and Z, you're going to have to show this passport. So I think this is going to be the model going forward as we see, particularly this Delta variant, the numbers tick up. Um, You know, New York has been okay so far, but the numbers taking up across the country, I think this is going to be a model. And I do think since so many businesses are doing something similar, there's not going to be a lot of pushback from the business community in New York, at least on this. Rick, we only have a minute. Even de Blasio said not everyone's going to agree with this. Is it good for business, though, and protect the patrons of these restaurants while they're at it? 
I think it. I think it can be good for business. Um, I, look, it's 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 definitely going to be inconvenient for some people. But if we don't start changing the mentality about getting vaccines, we're going to be still talking about this a year from now. And so I'm for shutting it down. Everyone go get a vaccine, and then you don't have to worry about whether or not you can get into a restaurant. Or Listen not. to Rick Davis. I kind of like this approach. Uh, thank you, Rick Davis, Jeannie Sheehan, Zeno, Bloomberg Politics contributors. They'll be back, of course, this week. And so will Jody Schneider here on Bloomberg Sound On. It's great to see you in New York, Jody. Thanks for coming in. I'm Joe Matthew, back tomorrow on Bloomberg Sound On. We'll check traffic news headlines coming up next, so stay right here. I'm Joe Matthew, this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.